This week on the show, I've got David Barr Kirtley, the host of the Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, sci-fi author, sci-fi lover. We're going to chat with him right after this. Welcome back to Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury, a show about loving science fiction. If you listen to podcasts and you love sci-fi, there's a very good chance that you've heard of The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Sponsored by Wired Magazine, it's one of the most popular sci-fi podcasts on the marketplace today, if not the most popular. And I was absolutely thrilled that David agreed to come on my show and chat with me. Very exciting. I really wanted to talk to a fellow podcaster. Get his point of view, find out why he does what he does and how he got into it, all of that good jazz coming up. I am once again plagued by horrible radio interference. I'm doing a whole hell of a lot right now to try to keep it at an absolute minimum. You might hear it later in the show because I'm going to play you some music, and there's just no hiding the radio interference when I play the harmonium. Last week, I played you Battle Cry for the Brown Coats, the new work in progress uh, synth pop song from my sci fi album. And this week, I thought I'd play you a nice acoustic version. I'll play it on harmonium with a little drum machine backing me up. That's coming up at the end of the episode. Also, I want to say thank you for all of the wonderful things I heard about that song last week. It seems like people really, really dug this one. Lots of brown coats out there. I very much appreciate that. So that's coming up at the end of the episode, but for now, we're going to meet David Barkertley, who I chatted with over Skype. He's coming to us from New York. Let's see what he has to say. All right, David Barkertley, host of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Welcome to Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to chat with you. So I just wanted to get your behind-the-scenes scoop on your show and just see how you got into podcasting, how you got into sci-fi, and, and get a feel for who you are. Uh, okay, I mean, I got into science fiction very young. I mean, my parents are both big science fiction fans. My parents are both professional scientists. And, you know, like a lot of scientists, they read a lot of science fiction. And so all the books that they read to me growing up were fantasy and science fiction books. Uh, Robert Heinlein's Red Planet and Have Space Suit Will Travel and The Hobbit were, I think, the first books that I can remember my parents reading to me. What were your favorite things as a kid? I mean, for me, it was it was Star Trek The Next Generation that really kind of solidified the fact that all I wanted was for things to be taking place in space. Um, <laughs> what was that for you? Well, I mean, like Star Wars, obviously, you know, my grandmother had a VCR when I was about five years old. And back then, a VCR was really high tech technology that, you know, just the idea that you could watch a movie at home was yeah. just beyond belief. And so she had actually taped Star Wars off of the television. And so I would just watch that every time I went over to her house. And so I had counted that I had watched it 25 times by the age of five or so. <laughs> wow. Um, so that, Oh, and I'll, actually, you know, my mom was pregnant with me when she saw Star Wars on opening night in 1977. So she's always maintained there was some sort of prenatal influence there. Wow. That's um, awesome. But in terms of books, the, the books that I really got into as a kid were there, there's a series of humorous fantasy novels called The Myth Series by Robert Asprin. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends loaned me one of those in school one day, and I started reading it, and I, I just couldn't stop reading and the teacher kept yelling at me to stop reading it and eventually threatened to confiscate the book if I didn't stop reading it. Wow. And I had to, you know, wait all day until I could run home and finish the book. And I, I just love those books so much. I read all of them probably 15 times. And then the other big one is Roger Zelazny's Amber series, um, 
And, I, you know, some of those books I've read 50, like literally 50 times or more. And uh, so, yeah, sort of between the ages of kind of 12 and 16 or so, those were the just the, the center of my life, basically, were those two series. Awesome. I just listened to your Star Trek Beyond episode, and it sounds like you know quite a bit about Star Trek. So at this point, are you... Uh, like well-versed in Star Wars and Star Trek? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, actually, compared to my friends, I feel like a total Star Trek novice. I really? mean, I watched, I watched lots of the original series. It was on after school when I was growing up. And I watched a fair amount of Next Generation. And I watched about the first season of Deep Space Nine and Voyager. And I watched one episode of Enterprise. And I've seen all the movies except for Star Trek Generations. Oh, um, I love that movie. So I... <laughs> Well, see, what happened was I heard that Kirk died in it and people didn't like the way that he died. And I was attached enough to Kirk as a character that I, I didn't want to watch him die in a not great movie. I uh, so I have no problems with the way he died in that movie. I I thought it was a nice send off. And the movie itself uh, is one of my absolute favorite movies ever. So I very highly recommend it. It's It's definitely like a controversial film. I mean... There are a lot of people in the Star Trek community who are very upset by several things that happened in it. But for me, it was like, I'll never forget being in the theater, being a little kid, having just lost my favorite show on TV, but then have all those people come back on the big screen. I was literally shaking with excitement in the theater. One of only <laughs> two times that's ever happened to me. The other time being when I saw Contact for the first time in the theater. And I was just shaking because I was so excited about what was happening on screen. I think, I think it's definitely worth watching. Absolutely. All right, here, I'll, I'll watch it right now. <laughs> and then let me know. Um, yeah, yeah. So you talk to a lot of different people on your show. I, the reason I ask about Star Wars and Star Trek is that something that comes up a lot uh, when I talk to people about sci-fi is the divide between Star Wars fans and Star Trek fans. Is that something that you've run across? Oh, well, yeah, sure. I mean, because Star Wars is more emotional and Star Trek is more intellectual. I think by inclination, I would be more of a Star Trek fan, but just uh, I think just because it was on TV and I was just bad at watching it at a particular time, uh, I never got into it as much as I might have if I had had them all the VHS tapes like I did for Star Wars, so I could just watch them whenever I wanted. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I certainly, and the older I get, the more, you know, Star Trek also has this really optimistic vision of the future and I think is more intellectual and explores more interesting ideas and things. So I, I want to like Star Trek more. But <laughs> if I'm just honest, just in my life, Star Wars was a bigger part of my life. Yeah, they're both pretty close to being equal for me, besides the fact that I really hate the prequels. And I'm really <laughs> yeah. interested in the idea of being a Star Wars versus a Star Trek person, because I feel like there's so much room for both for everyone. Like, like, like you said, I think that's a really good way of describing it. There's the emotional and the uh, intellectual. And I feel like human beings have both. So why can't we love both and celebrate both? I don't see any reason why not. Right. No, and it's so interesting because the climactic scene of the original Star Wars movie was long my favorite scene in all movies where Luke essentially decides that he has to turn off the machine and trust his feelings yeah. in order to defeat the Death Star. Yeah. And now I, I don't like that message of that at all. You know, I, I want people trusting their scientific instruments and not just going <laughs> on their gut instincts. Um but so, so yeah, there is this sort of war within me about uh, emotionally, I love it more than anything, but intellectually, I don't like it at all. Interesting. It's so funny to revisit things as an adult. I mean, I've been podcasting for a little over a year now, so I've been revisiting a lot of things that I held very precious as a child and then coming at them from an adult perspective and the changes that we've made in our society socially, uh, just seeing all those things kind of reflected in the times of when these things were made and finding problems in them. 
but then of course still finding things that I love so much in all of them. It's been it's been really interesting to kind of go back through and re-examine everything through the lens of having to talk to other people about it on the record. Right. Well, I mean, Robert J. Sawyer has this really interesting analysis of the original Star Wars movie where he says, you know, like the robots are basically slaves, you know, right. and that's never examined in the movie. And they go into the bar and the bartender says, get these robots out of here. We don't serve robots here. And Luke's kind of like, all right, guys, get out of here. Yeah. And, you know, it, it is, you know, strange going back and looking at that now and seeing like, hmm, maybe, you know, uh, another way to tell this story might be more interesting and actually examine those sorts of issues. Yeah, totally. I think it's, I, that's something that I thought about as a kid. It's like, but what it did to me in my young mind was say to me that the heroes of this movie are the people who accept everyone, including these droids who are considered like second class citizens in this society, which kind of subconsciously made me like those characters more. Um, but then as an adult, you're like, wow, Han Solo is really a dick to C-3PO. Like, yeah. <laughs> he might be kind of racist against droids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly, yeah. Yeah. So how long have you been podcasting? Uh, I think coming up on seven years now. We started wow. in 2010. Wow. So, yeah, uh, since since January 2010 is when we started. And how did this come about? Before my life was completely taken over by podcasting, I was writing science fiction. And I had... Um, had some of my stories adapted for audio on on some of the earliest podcasts. Oh, cool! Like Escape Pod and Pseudopod. Nice. So I, I'd never even heard of podcasts really back then, um, but I started having some of my stories adapted for them, and that's kind of how I got into it. And I just, you know, I, I always hated television growing up because I was always interested in science fiction books and all these other things, and there were never any TV shows about them. And with podcasting, even if you have fairly specialized interests you can find people talking about them. Right. And so uh, so that was just so amazing to me. And talking about them at a high level of intellectual sophistication, which, of course, you don't get on television very often. <laughs> um, and so I really just, I was addicted to podcasts. I was listening to hundreds of them, you know. And so uh, I was also hanging out a lot in New York City with my best friend, John Joseph Adams, who's now a, a, a quite prominent science fiction editor. He was just getting started back then. And uh, he published uh, an anthology called The Living Dead that I had a story in. It was a zombie anthology. And so we were going around doing a lot of publicity for that. And one of the publicity things we did was we were on uh, Jim Freund's Hour of the Wolf radio show on WBAI in New York. Um, and we came out of that and we were kind of like, oh, man, we, I wish we could keep talking about this book, you know. And I said, well, if we had our own show, we could talk about it as much as we wanted. You know, <laughs> no one could... Yeah, you know, no one could tell us when we had to stop. Yeah. And um and also John had had this idea to do a respectful documentary about geek culture cuz especially at that time the only things you really anytime you saw like a geek in a movie or something they were always an object of ridicule and you had documentaries like the Trekkies documentary maybe you've seen where it's you know the attitude is kind of like look at these freaks and I, I have avoided to, that movie because that's what I heard about it so I've never seen yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. So so we wanted to do so he had this idea to do a documentary uh, where we would talk to people at conventions and show people that they're kind of normal and cool and likable. Um, but just making it I told him making a documentary, we just did not have the money or skills or anything to do that. <laughs> but we could do a podcast. But anyway, you don't need any money or skills to do a podcast. So uh, <laughs> so, so, we, uh, <laughs> yeah. so so all those ideas just kind of came together. And that's sort of how we got the idea. Um, and then John knew somebody at tor.com uh which is the, the website of tor books yeah 
and uh, they were willing to you know partner with us to to do the podcast even though we were really co completely unqualified wow that's awesome were you originally uh hooked up with wired or did that happen later no that happens later so yeah so we started out on tour.com and we were on tour.com for about six seven months i think uh -huh. and then uh they decided that they didn't want to keep doing the podcast with us and then fortunately john had like one, one of the people who had listened to the podcast was annalee newitz of io9 and uh, so John got in touch with her and she said, oh, yeah, we'd love to have it on io9. Uh, io9 is the, is the futurism um, science fiction blog for Gawker Media. Yeah. And so then we were on there for about a year. And then they like also had budget cuts and they, they didn't want to keep doing the podcast anymore. And, then, and in the meantime, John had met someone from Wired. And so he uh, emailed that person and that person said, you know, checked out the show and was like, oh, this is good. Yeah, we'll 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 pick it up. So we kind of, you know. We kept getting dropped, but then we kept getting picked up by sites with even larger audiences. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it was pretty stressful, but it, <laughs> it really worked out in the end. That's really interesting. I've never even considered doing anything like that. Like, I just make my show and release it and try to build an audience, and I haven't even... Uh, it never occurred to me to try to partner with someone or to try to get it on a, a popular blog or something. That's a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, Man. I mean, because at that time, John and I had been in the science fiction publishing world for 10 years or something. So, I mean, we knew a lot of people and yeah. it wasn't like we were just some random guys who started a podcast. I mean, we were, we had no skills, but we did know a lot about science. We had a, a proven track record of at least knowing a lot about science fiction when we started. Yeah. So how has your show changed over the years? I mean, I'm, I'm very new to it. Um, and now you get like really interesting people on the show. Um, I, I love the one you had about Batman recently. I forget the, <laughs> the guy's name. He was from Pop Culture Happy Hour. Yeah, Glenn Weldon. Glenn Weldon, name. yeah. And I love Glenn Weldon so much, I actually started listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour after that. You had Manu Saida from, who wrote Treconomics. That was the first episode yeah, yeah. that I listened to, and I loved it. So you've got um, great people with a lot to say. Tell me, tell me about your, your progression to get to this point that you're at now. What did it start like? Because I haven't listened to any of the first episodes <laughs> yet. Yeah, you might not want to, but uh, <laughs> so the, yeah, I mean, the first, like I said, we had never, I had never done any audio editing or anything before. We had never, I'd never done an interview before when we did that first episode. So basically, I mean, John was playing a lot of Left 4 Dead at the time, the Valve zombie shooter game. Mm -hmm. And actually a lot of people in science fiction in New York were playing, because it's a four player game, they were playing online um, together. And so actually when he pitched the show, he had been talking to Pablo Defendini, who was running Tor.com at the time on Left 4 Dead. So that kind of played a key role in us getting the the show launched, but but yeah, so he um, was such a big Left 4 Dead fan that he wanted to interview somebody from Valve who had worked on the game, and so we set up an interview with uh, uh, this guy Chet Falasek, who was the lead writer on the project, and we came up with questions, and so we we asked him all our questions, and that took about thirty five minutes. And then we said, okay, well, goodbye. You know, we were very social, we were even more socially awkward than we are now, but particularly <laughs> at the beginning. And so we had about 35 minutes, we had this 35 minute long interview and Pablo had said he wanted, he thought the show should be an hour long show. So we needed another 25 minutes of material. So John and I decided we would just kind of talk about random stuff for the remaining 25 to fill up the remaining time. And that would be our show. And we thought, we thought that worked pretty well. And so we, we kept that format for, uh, over a hundred episodes, I guess, wow. where we would have an interview and then we would talk just the two of us at first and then after a while we kind of got bored with just talking about the talking with the two of us 
uh, especially like you start running out of things that we're both experts on yeah uh, that we haven't already talked about and it, and so we started bringing in one extra person who could be kind of an expert talking about whatever the the subject was if we needed someone to kind of um, bolster our knowledge about it and then we started having two people come on and sometimes I think maybe even three people come on and the show and, and we got better at interviewing people so the interviews got longer and longer so it got to the point where every episode was two hours long with an hour-long interview and then an hour of us talking with our friends and uh, it was just getting ridiculously long I don't think even most people will even listen to a two-hour long show you know even like start listening to a two-hour long show right so we decided and we were doing it so we were doing a two-hour show every other week and we decided it would just make sense to break it up and do an hour-long show every week. Yeah. And so those were the big format changes we have. And so that's kind of how we settled on the format we have now. Awesome. And how long has this current format been active? Uh, I think over a year, maybe, I don't know, 12 or 18 months, something like that. Nice. If you had to define what it is about science fiction that appeals to you personally, what is that? Uh, I think the thing I like most about science fiction is that I'm I'm sort of very philosophically minded and I like thought experiments. And that's the thing I like most about science fiction is the thought experiment brought to life aspect mm. of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's why I like Star Trek, the original series so much is because so many of the episodes, it's like, what if this were the case? And no matter how like weird or crazy it is, you see it brought to life and then you kind of have to think through the implications of it because it's it's right in front of your eyes and the person who wrote the story has had to think through the implications of it because they had to construct some um you know fictional environment that holds together in some way totally so and i mean pe different people like di like science fiction for different reasons some people are really into space travel you know some people are really into sociology and i like all those things too but for me it's the philosophy i guess is really the the thing that draws me to it the most yeah, that's a really interesting point, because to be a good sci-fi writer, you not only have to be good at writing, but you have to be good at coming up with these sort of thought experiments that you're talking about and then developing them uh, cohesively and in a way that is thought provoking, which is so hard. It's <laughs> it's like a magic trick sometimes. And I think Star Trek, of all the shows that have ever been on TV that have done science fiction, I think Star Trek follows through on that promise more than any others. Uh, but then there's so much, uh, so many authors who've been so amazing they just don't get as much attention because they're not flashy and sexy and on TV. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, since I'm a writer and I, I mean, I like books more than I particularly than I like um, TV and movies. And I particularly like short stories even more than I like novels. Yeah. And then you're getting into really niche sort of interests, you know. Um, so on the show, we try to have a mix. I mean, I, I want to talk about movies and TVs because I enjoy them, but also because people have heard of them. But then I try to mix in you know, as many books as I can, because that's really where my heart is, I think. Totally. So speaking of like movies and stuff like that, how do you feel about pop sci-fi? Because there, there's this is another one of those big divides in the sci-fi fan community where you have a lot of people who really like the flashy, exciting explosion stuff. And then you have a lot of people that really like the, the more intellectual, um, thought-provoking uh, examinations of society and humanity. Um, and there seems to be a divide between those two groups sometimes. How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, I always wish there were more smart science fiction in, in movies and TV. You know, I mean, there's that's what there's definitely a deficit of. Um, I mean, like there was the show Black Mirror that we talked about on the show, which is, to me, the epitome of smart science fiction on television. Yeah. And I, I wish there were 10 shows like that. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, I'm perfectly happy to go to a movie theater and watch. I mean, I always, I even have said that, you know, if I go to a movie theater, I kind of want there to be giant spaceships and giant explosions and stuff on the screen, because otherwise, what's the point of paying all that money and going to all that trouble to watch something on a giant screen if it's just going to be people's faces talking or something, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I like both, but certainly I wish there were more smart stuff, um, you know, in TV and, and movies. And there's so many smart books. And one of the major frustrations of my life has been how few of them have been made into movies and TV shows. Hmm. But that's really starting to change recently. We did an episode recently on the Sci-Fi Channel was starting to do adaptations of all these classic novels. And I mean, it's really an exciting time because I think that, um, you know, TV executives and movie executives in the past have been really contemptuous of science fiction and just saw it as kind of like crap that you could get kids to go see and they they didn't respect it at all and we're finally getting to the point where people who really grew up with it and love it are moving into positions of power and really care about making it good yeah. and there's just been a quantum leap in the quality of media science fiction and fantasy in the last uh, 10 or 20 years i love the way you phrased that <laughs> a quantum <laughs> leap yeah <laughs> you know starting with the futurians uh you know in the 30s and 40s the early science fiction writers like isaac asimov and frederick pohl it's long been a dream in science fiction that this is not just entertainment, but this is really sort of utopian literature. You know, this is trying to make the world a better place by giving people visions of the future that they that can inspire them and that can, you know, make them think about the future. And I, I think this functions on a, a bunch of different levels. But I mean, just to take some obvious things, um, you know, if we care about, I, I think most people just kind of live in the now and they're not thinking much beyond you know, today or this quarter or whatever. And we make a lot of decisions um, in our lives and as a society that we kind of know aren't going to be good for the long-term survival of the human species. But it's just so hard to think on those long time periods when you're so caught up in your day-to-day -day life. And the more science fiction you read, the more the future becomes a real place to you, a, a vivid place. And the more I think that you care about it and care about making decisions that are going to you know, not just affect you and your kids or your grandkids, but, you know, in 500 years, in a thousand years, I mean, we hopefully we want the human race to be around in a thousand years or 10,000 years or whatever. And we should be doing whatever we can not to kind of screw those people. And just I think that imagination is, is so important for morality, because really what makes you a, an ethical person is being able to imagine things, being able to imagine what it's like to be another person. We call that empathy, right? Mm -hmm. to, to just like you, you can't to imagine what society might be like that's different from the society you grew up in. And I think that, it, you know, that, that it's just so important to, that nothing is better than science fiction, in my opinion, for fostering the imagination. And nothing is more important for fostering ethics than the imagination. And, uh, and so they're all kind of interconnected in my mind. I also think it just makes for interesting people. You know, like all the people that I've met and talked to, like my show in particular is just about meeting and talking to people who love science fiction and just having a cool conversation. And m most of the time it's about sci-fi, but oftentimes it's about uh, everything else. And just seeing how loving science fiction shapes the minds of people is fascinating to me. And it, I feel like it makes uh, a really great breed of human, <laughs> hmm. if that makes sense. Well, sure. And if you want to talk about politics, I mean, a very uh, pivotal and traumatic event in my life was Al Gore losing the presidential election in 2000. I was just yeah. out of college at that point. 
And I really felt that whatever you think of Gore's policies, the way he was attacked for being uh, too, con too concerned about the environment and too nerdy and not like charming enough, uh, I, I thought was just really terrible. Yeah. And I mean, um, you know, I don't want a president. I don't want people deciding who's going to be president based on who's charming. I want right. people to decide who's going to be president based on who knows things that are important uh, who has the facts and who is like kind of like an egghead professorial type. <laughs> and uh, I think it was just such a, a you know, it, it, like if I can do anything in my life with the podcast or, you know, I, I would like to change society in such a way that being intellectual is not a liability when it comes to running for political office. Yeah, absolutely. Is that something that you've run into personally in your life? I mean, you, you're obviously an intellectual person. Um, and you, uh, you mentioned some social awkwardness. Is this something that you've come across? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I wasn't popular at all. Yeah. If that's, you know, if that's what you're getting at. Yeah. I mean, um, well, I guess, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because I had sort of this weird split reality when I was growing up because I was popular in daycare and summer camp and I was completely unpopular at school, like normal school. And so, you know, I think people talk about social skills as if it's like a score in Dungeons and Dragons or something. <laughs> but but that really made me see that how context dependent popularity is. Absolutely. You know, it really depends on just what group of people you find yourself with, um, whether you're seen as having good social skills or not. I mean, I probably could have. I was probably, you know, I wanted to talk about things that most people weren't interested in. I was probably a little bit arrogant, you know, um, but certainly there were just a lot of really I mean, I, I sort of where I grew up. I had the very bad fortune of growing up basically with all the worst bullies in my school district living in a circle around my house. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, so like, I don't know, this kid attacked me in a uh, technical drawing class my freshman year of high school. They used to like follow me home from school throwing rocks at me, just, wow. you know, walk, walking from the bus to, the, uh, to my house. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I was, yeah, not particularly happy with my social situation growing up and i think that that's true of you know i think a lot of people come to science fiction because they feel marginalized Absolutely. or because they're in some way dissatisfied with the world that they find themselves in and would rather spend time imagining how things could be better than wallowing in you know the situation that they're stuck in yeah i was very unpopular particularly in uh the, towards the end of elementary school there was actually this kid who created an I hate Jesse club and all everyone in our friend circle joined. <laughs> oh, jeez! Uh, and he like drew a picture about how he was going to kill me. This like Rube Goldberg device that ended in my death that resulted in both of our moms coming into school to sit down with a teacher and talk about the seriousness of the problem. Um, and it was interesting because I, I went to two different, uh, two different high schools and the first high school, I felt like I was very unpopular. And then I went to the second high school and I had like really long hair. I wore a bunch of hemp necklaces. I listened to a lot of Dave Matthews band. And for some reason at this new school, everyone thought that I was like this new mysterious person. Like I had never done drugs or had a drink in my life, <laughs> but they, they thought that I was like, people told me they thought that I was like having sex and doing drugs and stuff. I'm like, I, I wish I'm not doing any of that, <laughs> you know? Um, and it was really interesting to be complete, completely different in the eyes of everyone around me, like the next day. And I hadn't done anything differently personally. It was just like where I ended up 
it just completely changed. So you're a hundred percent correct that it is so contextual. And, uh, I don't know. I, we live in this very strange culture in which, um, especially when you're a kid where being athletic and being quote unquote cool is extremely valuable and being intelligent is not necessarily valuable. Um, and I, much like you, I think I gravitated towards science fiction because I got really good grades when I was a kid. Um, I got made fun of for that all the time. And I love the idea of, you know, being on the bridge of the Enterprise. And I, I always related to Data because he was kind of the social misfit that they loved anyway. And they valued him so much for his intelligence. And it kind of gave me hope for like, when I get older, I will be okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting. I think a lot of people have a very similar experience that are that are like us who love sci-fi. Well, let me just say in terms of athleticism, because I was not athletic particularly as a kid, but then after that kid attacked me in um, freshman year, I started lifting weights and like training with a punching bag and stuff. I was doing that for hours every day. Wow. And I got to be incredibly muscular. I mean, I was the most muscular kid in my, well, maybe second or third in my um, class. And actually the goalie from our lacrosse team recruited me because he wanted some, he wanted my big strong muscles, I guess, to help, you know, uh, protect him from uh, opposing players. So I actually, I, I tried really, really hard to play, to be a lacrosse player. Um, you know, I trained five times as hard as anyone else on the team. And I got to be okay. Um, but I, uh, you know, I never really like fit in with the team. Um, you know, there's there's this one time I, you know, uh, the, per the the one friend I had who I had lunch with didn't show, he was sick one day. And so I sat with the lacrosse team and you could, you could just tell how uncomfortable they were to have me sitting there and like, is he going to sit here again? Oh my God, this is a social <laughs> catastrophe, you know? So I, I never did that again. And there was just like this, this time, like junior year, I was, you know, I, I had trained like harder than anyone could possibly train at lacrosse. And there was this kid uh, on our team. He was just the best lacrosse player. The kid was unbelievable. He was all American and all this stuff. And, uh, he just like we were just doing a drill and he just blew by me like I wasn't even there. Yeah. And I just uh, I, I just sort of said to myself at this point, you know, there are just some things in life that no matter how hard you try, this is just not your thing. And this is just obviously not my thing. Yeah. And I, I guess sort of gave up on lacrosse at that point. <laughs> I'm 31 now. I moved to Seattle about almost six years ago. And it was that con contextual switch where all of a sudden I could be whoever I wanted to be. I could be anything and be accepted because it's a very accepting culture up here. Um, and I feel now I'm like the most comfortable with myself and the happiest and the most creatively productive that I've ever been. Um, and, and then I wonder, is it just growing up in San Diego that's, or, or like, are there specific places that you can grow up where people are, um, less accepting? I mean, is that just how it is in the country? And are there places that are like better pockets to be a child because people will accept you for who you are? I mean, this is something I think about all the time and like passing down to the next generation. I'd love to have kids someday. I'd love to uh, be able to set them up for success and um, build a strong sense of personality young because I think that's so important. I, I actually think that it's kind of good in a way to grow up ostracized hmm. because i mean i don't think you know if i'd been i forget some guest i think we talked about this but we were saying that you know if if i had been popular uh it would have been kind of hard for me to become a writer because then suddenly you know i was, wouldn't be getting any money and people are saying i'm horrible 
uh, and you know that I'm offensive and that my stories are no good and all this stuff. But all that, and, and that my podcast, that my voice is terrible and I have no charisma and all this stuff. But the thing is, like, when you grow up unpopular, uh, you kind of get used to it, you know, and, and people you know, people, oh, they don't like your story. They don't like your podcast. Well, they never liked anything about me. So I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> I haven't, I'm not, I'm not any worse off than I ever was. And I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think it's necessarily bad to, uh, to face that sort of adversity as a kid and get past it. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree with that. I think the thing that I get concerned about is just the, like this culture of, of violence that we are living in telling stories shows you the other people's point of view. When you learn to see things from other people's point of view, it gets very difficult to be violent against them. And I think that uh, a lot of the issues that we have in this country with violence are because people are afraid of other people and they don't understand them. So I would just love to move past that as a people. And I feel like what we're taught in school and how we interact with people in school is one of the biggest ways to, get past that and to, or to plant seeds early because I, uh, because I watched Star Trek as a kid, like I'm an incredibly nonviolent person. Um, like I understand the necessity of, of war and I understand the necessity of fighting for something you believe in. But, uh, and to me, that's not necessarily being a violent person. Uh, like violent people are the type that throw rocks at a kid's head when they're walking down the street. I mean, like, the the ostracized people come out of that stronger but what about the people who are throwing rocks at kids i mean what do they end up being when they get older and i i firmly believe that uh storytelling is one of the best ways to get through that and that sci-fi is in my opinion the best genre for promoting healthy uh psychological habits as a kid you know it's interesting i don't know if you've seen this show stranger things i just watched it we're going to be discussing it on the next episode I haven't seen but it yet, but this... everyone is telling me to watch it. Yeah, it's it's really, really enjoyable. Um, and it's a, sort of a pastiche of 80s movies like E.T. and Close Encounters of the Third Kind and stuff like that. But there's a sort of a classic 80s bully character who's making fun of a kid for his speech impediment. And I sort of wonder, like, what about the kids who are that the bully yeah. who would make fun of the kid because of his speech impediment? When they watch that show, what are they th like? what's going on, going on inside their head? I was really thinking about this the other day. Like, does that, do they not, are they just not watching those shows or do they somehow not see that it's them or yeah. uh, does it affect their behavior? I, I don't know. Um, I, I need some like real dickhead kid to run this experiment <laughs> on. You hear that folks? If you have a dickhead kid, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let us run an experiment. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so, that's such a good point. And it's interesting because now we're living in this day and age where uh, nerddom is, is coming to the forefront. Being a nerd is now becoming cool, which to me is infinitely exciting because I feel like it will make positive change in society in general. When it's cool to think about this kind of thing, when it's cool to talk about this, um, superhero movies are the coolest thing in the world right now. And there's huge messages of positivity and acceptance in these movies, particularly in the Marvel Universe, not so much in the DC Universe, but... Um, I, it's exciting to me. I feel like we might see positive social change come out of superhero movies, which sounds so silly, but I believe it. <laughs> no, well, you know, I, I just got back actually from teaching at a, a week-long workshop, science fiction writing workshop for young writers. Oh, cool. And I recognize this is not a representative sample of the population, but I'm so impressed by these students. I mean, like they've grown up with the internet. 
their level of cultural awareness and political sensitivity and political awareness is just like a thousand times what anyone that I grew up with was like. And uh, I, I, I do think that, that that gives me a lot of hope for the future. So I just did uh, a whole episode about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which was a big part of why I started listening to your show in the first place was just the title, Geek's Guide to the yeah. Galaxy. It's a great title. How did that come about? Uh, I, I wish I had put a lot of thought into it. I mean, the truth is that when we started the podcast, we didn't expect to be doing it for very long, and we didn't put a whole lot of effort into the title. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, just like John and I are both huge Hitch Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fans. I mean, my parents owned the original BBC radio drama on audio cassette when I was growing up, and they would just play it in the car on every road trip we took. So I've, I mean, I've listened to it 25 times or something. And then John had this experience that he's talked about on the show where he had a stepfather for a while who um, just did not, he didn't get along with him. And John was basically grounded all the, you know, he was just permanently grounded. You know, he would, he could go to school and then otherwise he had to be locked in his room basically. Wow. Uh, and so that was a very difficult period in his life, obviously. And he was just reading Douglas Adams um, kind of to get through that. And, uh, so, yeah, so Douglas Adams is just really important to both of us in our lives. Yeah. And uh, and also, I guess, I, I mean, Douglas Adams, to me, I, I sort of want the show to embody some of the things that he stood for because he was really, really smart. He was really, really funny. You know, he really, really cared about people and the state of the world and had strong convictions in terms of skepticism and science and things like that. And I just want the show to reflect all those kinds of things if I possibly can. That's awesome. So uh, for someone like me who's new to the show, I haven't heard John on the show in any of the episodes I've listened to. So what is his role in the show? Oh, yeah. Well, so he was the co-host for the first hundred episodes. And then his career had gotten had been taking off so much that he just doesn't have time to uh, to, to be full time co-host anymore. Mm -hmm. So he you know, we we've tr I've tried to get him on as a regular guest as much as I can. But uh, you know, just recently he hasn't been able to do it. I mean, I was going to have him on for the Star Trek Beyond panel because he's such a big Star Trek fan, but he, you know, it coincided with uh, San Diego Comic-Con, so he couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's he has his own imprint now at Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, a science fiction book imprint. Um, so, I mean, he has a lot to, you know, and he he's the editor and owner and founder of Lightspeed and Nightmare Magazines, which are two of the most prominent uh, horror and science fiction magazines in the field. So he has just an incredible amount to contribute to the show uh, in terms of his knowledge base. But uh, he's just really busy and can't do it so much anymore. Yeah. So you've been doing this show for a long time. What keeps you going? I, I mean, I just love it. I mean, I mean, for one thing, it's just being able to talk to people that I want to talk to yeah. you know, who've written books. You know, I mean, actually, before I started doing the podcast, I was I was in graduate school. I was, I was doing a kind of an MFA in fiction and screenwriting in, in Los Angeles. And at that time, I was I was just so I wanted to meet authors so much. And I would uh, go to three or four author readings every week. And I would just um, go and watch the reading. And then I would get a copy of the book. This gets to be expensive after a while, but I would get a copy of the book and then I would wait in line to have them sign it. And I discovered that if you stand at the back of the line, then pretty much everyone has left and you can talk to the author for maybe, you know, 10 or 20 minutes, sometimes longer. And I was just doing that a couple times a week just because I loved talking to authors so much. And, you know, I wanted to make contacts and I wanted to find out how they got published and how they got, what, what techniques they used for writing and what their ideas were and all this kind of stuff. Um, 
And and but even like you know like some of the like like I, I remember I tried to go see Michael Shabon once at the library and I couldn't even get in. There were like hundreds of people and I couldn't even get in. Right. Yeah. And and just to go from that to having an hour to talk with him on the phone a couple of years later is is such a huge change and such an exciting change. And <laughs> uh, you know I I I'm not I don't expect to get tired of it anytime soon. I mean I, I literally like I wake up at five a.m. every morning. Because I'm just so excited to start working on whatever I need to do for the podcast. I just, I just love it so much. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing because like you start a podcast because you think it's a cool idea, and then it becomes a lifestyle choice yeah. <laughs> very early on, where it's just something that is now integrated into every aspect of my life. I mean, putting out a show weekly is a lot of work, but it it never feels like work to me. It's just like my relaxation time is filled with creating something that I get to share with other people. Um, and it's wonderful. I mean, it's so great. Everyone should do it. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally, I would totally encourage. I mean, you, you don't realize how much time it takes. I mean, yeah. that was the big thing when I did the first episode. I just couldn't believe how long it took to edit it. And I thought, you know, this is crazy. I can't do this every week, you know. Um, but then I just couldn't give it up. So I have done it every week. Yeah. But um, but yeah, aside from the, the time commitment, just everything else I just love about it so much. And yeah, I would, it's just such a good way to meet people too. I mean, you know, you can get some of your favorite, you'd be surprised. I think people would be surprised who you can get on the phone if you just ask. ask. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, if anyone's out, out there has a, you know, an idea for a podcast, I'd encourage you to give, to give it a try. I mean, like I said, there's so little barrier to entry you might as well try it and see see what you think yeah what are your highlights of people that you really 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 want to talk to that you actually got on your show uh well uh george r, r. martin and richard dawkins and richard garriott wow i think are the ones i was most excited about um you know because like because george r. r martin is you know possibly i think i think my favorite living fantasy author uh, Richard Dawkins uh, is just sort of an inspirational figure to me. Part of the reason I got into this is because I was just inspired by the sort of public intellectual aspect of of people in the atheist skeptical community. Because mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's just something that's important to me. And then Richard Garriott. I mean, unfortunately, you know, most of the authors I grew up reading um, are not alive anymore. You know, like Douglas Adams, Roger Zelazny, Robert Asprin. I mentioned uh, some of these people I really, really would have liked to talk to. But Richard Garriott um, is the game designer of my favorite video game series uh, growing up, the Ultima series, which is very concerned with ethics and morality. And uh, I just think he's such an interesting guy. And there's just something about talking to someone whose work you grew up with that is exciting in a way that however much you love someone that you discovered as an adult, it's just not the same. Yeah, totally. Uh, do, you have a, do you have a personal line of things that you just don't talk about on the show? Like, is there a... Is there a David Bar Kirtley that no one has ever <laughs> seen or heard anything of that exists that is just not part of the show? Is that something that you've thought about? I'm sure you've thought about it, but is that something that you've kind of uh, acted on in any way? Not really. I mean, the thing is that I don't really have a another side. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've always, you know, like most people that I know uh, who are into science fiction or something like they had a period of time where they were 16 and they wanted to be a rock and roll star or, you know, they've gone through phases where they've tried out different things and maybe they've come back to this. This has always been my thing. Yeah. I've always been completely obsessively focused on this almost to the complete exclusion of anything else in my life. 
So I, I don't have a whole lot of like outside interests. I mean, you know, there's, there's nothing like, this is what I do for fun. I mean, there's, you know, it's like, if I were to take a vacation, it would just be to work on the podcast. Cause that's, you know, that's the, <laughs> the thing I would most like to be doing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, and there's not really much I don't talk about. I mean, I talk about religion and politics and sexuality and like anything else on the show. I mean, I tried to keep the focus on, uh, on, on, you know, whatever the topic is. Cause I, I, I wouldn't want people to, um, you know, come on, you know, listen to an episode about like Star Trek and then like 40 minutes of it was me ranting about some unrelated political issue or something. Right. So I, I try to keep, keep that under control. I guess the only other thing is I, I want guests to not feel not, re I want guests to not regret that they came on the show. Totally. So sometimes there'll be a guest that I disagree really strongly with about some particular topic, but I just won't bring it up because I don't want the show to, me, to be me arguing with them and them being like, why did I come on this show and stuff like that. Yeah. But other than that, it's pretty much anything goes. Yeah, I've always, I, I have a very similar philosophy where I want everyone who comes on the show to love it and want to come back. Um, and a lot of my recordings are very uh, casual, like we'll drink whiskey, we'll sit down together and... Hmm. Um, you know, and basically just shoot the shit and record it. Uh, and it's really, really, really fun. And so far there's been no one that I didn't have a blast with, but I know it'll happen someday. Like <laughs> someday there will be a bad experience and then it will be an interesting decision as to whether or not it gets released. But when I first started, I was like, all right, well, the, these are the things that I'm not going to talk about on the show because they're personal on their mind. And within the first like 10 episodes, I think I talked about all of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it just like comes out. I don't know. It's interesting. Like when I'm talking to my listeners, I feel like I'm talking to like one giant person who is a friend of mine, if that makes sense. And that developed because I've done uh, a little over 50 episodes now. And that developed slowly where I started to think of the people listening to the show as like this one big person. I don't know. It's hard to describe. <laughs> I've never actually tr tried to put this into words before um, where I feel like I'm having a conversation with someone, even though it's just me by myself sometimes, just talking to myself. I still feel like someone else is there. It's really great. It's a, it, makes, it makes it hard for me to feel alone, if that makes sense, because I know that I have this platform where I can say something that someone else will hear. And I think a lot of loneliness comes from the fact that like, you can be super lonely in a big group of people if no one is hearing you. Uh, so just being able to talk and have people hear is such like a human experience. And to be able to do that regularly weekly is such a gift so i don't know it, it doesn't it doesn't happen if there isn't anyone listening so it's just such a wonderful relationship to develop oh it's interesting because i mean i've been i've lived by myself for for many many years and before i did the podcast i was writing fiction and i would get really really lonely yeah. writing fiction because it's just dead quiet i mean something you could put on music or something but it's it's mostly it's just dead quiet and you're like alone with your thoughts trying to figure out this story and I find working on the podcast much less lonely because there's always voice. I'm always hearing people talk, you know, I mean, and um, and there's not the same kind of crushing self-doubt with the podcast because pretty much every, you know, every minute that you put into the podcast is making it better. And you always have this sense that it's getting better and you're making progress. Whereas with fiction, you know, you can write all day and then at the end of the day and you never know if this is good or not. At the end of the day, you're like, ah, oh, that was all terrible. And you throw it all out. So yeah, just just if you're alone, if you're home alone all day, I, I I personally have found that that working on a podcast is is sort of more psychologically healthy uh, yeah. than working on fiction. Has it been therapeutic for you? Uh yeah. Well, I mean, because I also I I also I mean, 
in addition to having no background in theater or audio production or anything, I also have always had like a most unbelievably crippling phobia about talking to people on the telephone. Really? And oh yeah. So I mean, throughout my whole life, I would always like ha I would always have my mom, um, you know, make phone calls for me and stuff like that. And uh, so it's kind of funny that I wound up doing this, but you know, I've definitely gotten. You know, it's not a big deal for me now to talk to people on the phone. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's a big and, I, and just like in converse, you know, um, I guess I was always sort of insecure about how interesting I was to other people based on my uh, childhood experiences. And I've definitely gotten more confident that I can, you know, carry on an interesting conversation with people having, you know, done it for you know, 215 episodes. Yeah. So you've got uh, audio proof that you were that you're great <laughs> at it. <laughs> Yeah, I have people on tape laughing at my jokes. You can't take that away from me. <laughs> How nervous were, are, do you get sometimes? Like when you're talking to George R. R. Martin, are you petrified beforehand? Oh, yeah. Well, no. I mean, every... I don't know. There was this movie. I think it was called The Cutting Edge. It's about um, a hockey player who is dating... A, he has to learn how to be a figure skater. I love that movie. <laughs> it's okay, okay. so, so great. So he, so he says like D.B. Sweeney and Moira time. Kelly. I love that movie. <laughs> so he says every time before he goes out on the ice, he always throws up, yeah. right? I mean, that's really what, like, recording the podcast has been like for me. Like, every time, you know, it gets to be an hour beforehand and, I, like, my stomach hurts and I have a headache and I'm getting the chills and shakes. And I'm like, why did I ever agree to do this? Like, you know. And then usually once I, you know, and there's like just a moment of absolute white knuckle terror when you hit the call button on Skype, you know. Um, but then usually once I'm actually talking to someone after just a minute or two, I'm fine. Uh, and I'm I've, I'm I'm about eighty percent over that now. But I mean, I have done like a hundred plus episodes where every time I was just like, it was like you know when you drink and you wake up the next morning, you're like, why did I ever? You have with a hangover, you're like why I'm never drinking again? Why did I ever do that? Yeah, it's kind of like that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, and then of course you finish the uh, the interview, and ninety nine percent of the time it it went fine, and then there's just this rush of euphoria, and you're like, yes, I did it, and yeah, not uh, only that, but you get yeah. to like show other people too. Yeah, yeah, well. And it's, it's, it's almost unhealthy in a way because now I'll talk to, I'll just have a normal conversation with someone and I'm like, well, you know, 15,000 people didn't listen to that conversation. I said all these clever things and no one, only that one person listened to it. Like, isn't my time much better spent on the podcast rather than talking to actual people where yeah. like thousands and thousands of people are, are, are being reached, you know? So That's funny. I think you can go too far with that, but yeah, uh, I haven't had that thought, but I have had the thought many times like, oh man, I wish we were recording this right now. Just because it was like a great conversation. I was at a bar once with some friends and there was four or five of us and we were all talking about like the original Star Trek movies versus the JJ Star Trek movies. And it got really, really, really heated and it was so much fun. And I just wish I had it to release because it would be such a great episode. <laughs> yeah, you should start life casting. Yeah, I'll just like, carry a pocket recorder with me everywhere just in case. So what's your what's your day to day life like? I mean, I'm assuming you must have a day job of some kind. Uh, no, now I uh, I'm actually making a full time living off of this podcast. Are you? Oh my god, that's like my dream. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's not like a like a very lucrative life life, but I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, thanks to the Patreon, I mean, I've been doing it uh, full time for years. I was living off savings and doing various other living very cheap kind of things. Um, but I'm actually supporting myself doing this now. Yeah. Thanks to the Patreon support for which I'm like unbelievably grateful. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, so my, my day-to-day -day life is basically, I wake up, as I said, at 5am, I start working on the podcast and I work on the podcast all day until I fall asleep around 1130. And I do that, uh, 
just about seven days a week. And then I eat meals and bathe and stuff like that, too. Wow. Um, but basically, it's just working on the podcast. And then I, I have a girlfriend and I have some friends who live in the city. And so I, you know, I sort of bounce back and forth between I, I live in, in Westchester. It's in the suburbs of New York City. So I kind of bounce back and forth between here and, and New York City to see friends. But uh, like, like, as you know, I guess, I mean, well, the, the thing with podcasting, too, is that you're never done. I mean, if you're, you know, you can always edit it more and make it sound better, no matter how much time you spend on it. And you can always be more prepared for the guest, especially if it's an author. There's always another book or interview that you could read to prepare. So um, so I, I basically end up spending all the time that I could on something related to the podcast all the time. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of my life as it stands. That is wonderful. I'm That makes me so happy to hear because like part of me questions if that's even possible. So now I know. And that's awesome. <laughs> well, no, I mean, Patreon, it's really amazing. I mean... Um, and uh yeah like i like i said it took six years basically of doing it but i i got to this point and i you know it could all go to hell tomorrow for all i know you know um like like i said you know tor canceled the podcast and io9 did so i, I don't take anything for granted in this uh in this space but uh yeah just being able to do this to spend every waking moment on it is is just unbelievable yeah that's wonderful. Uh, that makes me really happy. That seems like a really <laughs> wonderful place to stop as well. Um, I, uh, I really appreciate you sp spending the time to chat with me. Uh, it's such a pleasure. Where, where can everyone go to find you, find your website, your show? I'd want everyone to go check it out. Oh, yeah, sure. So I'm David Barkertley, and I have a website at davidbarkertley.com where I have all my short stories that I wrote. I published about 30 um, fantasy and science fiction short stories in different magazines and anthologies. And you can read pretty much everything I ever published on my website for free. And then the podcast we've been talking about is Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And there's a website for that at geeksguideshow.com. And we're on iTunes and Stitcher and all kinds of all those things as well. Awesome. And what's your Twitter handle? Uh, my, my, my Twitter handle is Dave Bar Kirtley. David Bar Kirtley didn't quite fit. So I'm Dave Bar Kirtley. And then for Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, it's at Geek's Galaxy. Perfect. Well, David, thank you so much for spending the time with me this morning to, to chat. I guess afternoon where you're at in New York. But it's been such yeah, a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, I love listening to your show, and it's great to to get a little idea of who you are as a person. Um, and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much, Jesse. All righty. That's it. That's my chat with David. So much fun. Thanks again, David, for joining us on the show. I really appreciate it. As promised, I'm going to play you an acoustic version of Battle Cry for the brown coats on Harmonium and Drum Machine. If you're new to the show and you're not familiar with Harmonium, it's basically a little piano that you play on your lap. It's kind of like an accordion uh, where you pump a little pump. That was a good sentence. You pump a pump on the back of the Harmonium. It makes noise. Sounds like this. You can make it louder or softer depending on how hard you pump. So you got to have air in there to make noise. If you don't pump, it sounds like this. Fades into nothing. You hear that radio interference? God damn it, I hate it. I'll figure out a way to get rid of that. I hope. It's really bad in this new apartment. I don't know what I was thinking trying to record a podcast and live in the middle of the city, but uh, I'll figure it out one of these days. Episode 55. Still don't know what I'm doing. That's okay. Oh my God. That's horrible. You hear that? That's not me making that music. That's the fucking radio. God damn it. Ugh, I hate it so much. I have a noise gate on my voice, so you can't hear anything that happens between me talking. But as long as I'm talking, there's radio interference.
and it's horrible. And I hate it so much. All right, I'm just going to ignore it and play the fucking song. Here we go. friends thank you so much for listening to another episode of sci-fi with jesse mercury check me out jessemercury.com if you want to hear more of my music subscribe to the podcast give us a positive rating on itunes leave a nice review means a lot to me if you want to support this podcast check us out on patreon at sci-fi project wait nope that's not it patreon.com slash sci-fi project that's the one i love you i'll see you soon 